Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. I'm your host, Dr. Alan. Delighted that you've joined us today. Are you a busy professional, passionate about the work of your calling, yet realize that even though you love what you are doing, you're exchanging your time for money? You know that if you were to lose the ability to exchange time for money, your financial well-being will be in jeopardy. If you can relate, I have great news. Steve Tucker Capital is an investment company designed for professionals to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Remove the anxiety of an uncertain financial future and go to steetalker.com. Get your free one-page 10-step guide to passive real estate investing. Enlightened investors, let's delve into what you need to know when starting out as a passive investor in multifamily real estate investing. Hadar or Kibi has two decades of full-time real estate experience under his belt. Hadar specializes in long-distance, out-of-area, and out-of-the-country investing. His portfolios include multifamily apartments and triple-net commercial real estate in New Zealand and the United States, allowing him to exit the rat race with the passive income and live a lifestyle by design with his family. Over the years, Hadar implemented different strategies which include wholesaling, house flipping, subdivision, new construction, commercial real estate, joint ventures, and multifamily investing with a focus on apartment buildings that have value-add upside potential. Adar enjoys helping both seasoned and beginner real estate investors reach their wealth potential, income, and portfolio goals through multifamily real estate. He is a coach with Jake and Gino and co-founder of the USA Multifamily Investing Mastermind Group. Hadar, before we get into real estate, share a memorable experience from your formative years that helped you to be who you are today. Thanks, Alan. Thank you for having me today. I really haven't thought about this question. And I think that there are, for every person, but maybe specifically for me, there are actually few events, if you like, in my life that really kind of shaped me with the direction of where I am today. One of the, of, of the main events was actually a real estate deal that went a little bit not according to plan. And that was about, I would say, six years ago. So I won't elaborate on it in details because it could take half the show. But we had the resource consent, if you like, permits to build on a piece of land in a suburban area. We took one lot into three lots, which was approved by the city. The only thing that we needed to get it done was to get the neighbor to sign off on moving the easement that he had to drain his stormwater into our stormwater lines because he was draining into us and he's meant to do so to the boundary. So we don't need to build on top of it and bridge on top of it. So when we met with him, he agreed to do so. But when we got him to sign the paper, he was basically ghosting us, if you like, for a, a period of about eight months. And that was very tough. At that time, the market was, it was very hot. But specifically in that specific time frame, the New Zealand government introduced macro potential tools to cool the housing markets. And they basically limited the loan-to-value restrictions for developments and also for home buyers or investors. So the market basically changed overnight. And all we wanted to do is basically sell the project with the permits and, and move on. 
So we kind of decided that we don't want to execute the whole plan because we could have made a good profit just by doing that. But not having that signature was very stressful. We couldn't really pursue any sale of the, of the asset. And it took about eight months. So through the process of that, I really had to look inside, if you like, to work on my mindfulness and my ability to stay calm and ability to deal with the situation because I actually have a line of credit on my family home which is a significant line of credit, which I used to trade pro real estate with, when I'm flipping houses or in that case, you know, six, $700,000 out. I usually use it and then repay it back once, once I uh, obviously uh, sell the, the asset. And when it was dragging up to be, you know, seven, eight, close to nine months back at the end, you know, I started to get a little bit shaky and really worried about uh, is there any end in sight. So that pivoted moment for me was that I actually started to meditate a lot and started to really take note of my well-being more in terms of uh, being mindful for my how to deal with stress. And for me, it was actually put me on a course of having a bit of a morning routine, if you like, to, to get the headspace at the right, right place to be able to deal with day-to-day -day challenges of the business. In the end, through persistence and, and goodwill, we managed to get the neighbor to sign the, the, the dotted line and sold the asset. But for me, it was a, an important point in my life, if you like, to wake me up, to walk on myself so I can, if you like, cope with stressful situation in life. Yeah, interesting how those challenges in life oftentimes uh, forced us to look inside and really to to realize we've got to be our own best friend because nobody else is going to be out there to exactly. do that for us. So, yeah. Well, take us into real estate here and explain to us what is passive investing. So on a nutshell, you know, there are many different uh, type of people that they could passively invest. But with, with what we are doing with multifamily, more often than not, you see busy professionals, perhaps they are doctors, attorneys, lawyers, you know, CPAs, engineers, people who, who earn a reasonable income, but they don't have the time or knowledge to actually invest themselves into real estate and find the deal themselves and reposition the asset, manage contractors and do everything that it's involved with really taking an asset from underperforming to a better performing, if you like, or really hitting a home run with returns and cash flow. So we see a lot of busy professional who, if you like, invest in a syndication or a partnership with somebody else, if you like, typically they're called the general partners. So you have the general partners are typically the one that organize the deal. Those people who put everything together, find the deal and uh, really manage the whole transaction. And the passive investor, they come in typically in a syndication as a limited partners and they just basically invest into the, into the deal and they get a specific return on their money, which is a cash flow. It's an ongoing cash flow that, you know, equivalent, percentage equivalent to what they put in. Let's say they put $100,000 and they're getting 7% return. They will be getting $7,000 a year of, uh, of income from the property. And when the property is perhaps uh, sold or refinanced, but let's in that case say sold, they will also get a percentage of the proceeds from the sale, from the profits. So a passive investor is somebody, if you like, there is an analogy of an airplane. There is good analogy that Paul Peeble from the from old capital always given. I kind of like these analogies. They got a great podcast as well. That you got the GP are the if you like the pilots, and then you have the LP, the limited partner. They're like the 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 passenger in the back who eat the peanuts and and basically don't need to do a lot, but they're just moving forward through the through the goal of the actual transaction. 
Well, that's a good analogy and a good explanation there. Well, you focus on apartments in terms of providing opportunities for your passive investors, and there's a number of different asset classes that we could go into, but your focus has been multifamily. So why do you focus on multifamily? I like multifamily a lot, but I can give you a little bit of a background why multifamily and me being an American citizen, but I'm based in New Zealand. I've been investing in real estate for nearly two decades now. And the market in New Zealand is really matured in the last 15 years since I started. You could have got a reasonable cash flow, but still they were pretty tight. In the last 10 to 15 years, the market matured to a level of very, very low cap rates, more like if you like Seattle, Boston, New York, San Francisco, three to four cap rates at best. You like, there's just no cash flow. So over the years, every asset that I bought in New Zealand appreciated significantly. And because my cost bases were relatively low, you know, for what I paid for it, what they're worth now, I'm cash flowing. But Mm -hmm. about five years ago, I decided that if I want to really accelerate and grow my, my passive income, if you like, my cash flow business, I really need to go where I get the biggest bang for the buck. I need to go out to invest in the States where there are a lot of opportunities when the price to rent ratio make much more sense. So I've done a lot of market research. And as an American citizen, I am able to travel to the state regularly and borrow money in the States. So once I got myself educated, I chose the market and I started buying assets in market, which I felt that uh, the price to rent ratio makes sense, that they are landlord friendly states. This, you know, I kind of stabilized my criteria. So you have to have your buying criteria before you start or when you're looking at a market, when you choose a market. So I like to invest in a landlord friendly state. I like to invest in markets that are kind of steady as she goes. They're the reasonable job growth and population growth. They might not be like uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, if you like, or currently, for example, Phoenix, Arizona, but they will be strong and no population decline or not losing job growth or not a town that has only one industry that if they go kaput, if you like, you're in a position that your tenants lose their job. So we did some market research and we decided to go into a specific market, which uh, allows me to, to really build upon that a portfolio started uh, slow and, and gradually built uh, a portfolio of 100 units now in, in Arkansas and in Tennessee. I love multifamily because it has the cash flow opportunity. You're able to force appreciation and cash flow through buying an underperforming asset. The easiest way is basically to increase the income and reduce the expenses. So if the asset was owned by the same family for 30 years or mismanaged for a mom and pop owners, if you like, and you have the ability to spend about, let's say, five to $7,000 a door and push the rent by $150 to $200 a door, for example, you'll be able to increase the, the income, the net operating income significantly enough so you're able to increase the equity and the cash flow. Another way that we add value is really through reducing expenses. And one of the easiest ways to reduce expenses, for example, is to build back for water. I just bought an asset two months ago now that we're going through the implementing the RUB program, which is ratio utility billing service. We're basically billing back the residents for the usage of the utility that they have. Sometimes you can submit, sometimes you don't. It depends on the property, when it was built and how it was built. But that's another great way. So if we're spending, let's say, fifteen to 20000 a year on water, 
and we can build that back or 90% of that back through the tenant, through implementing a water recovery program, if you like, if it's only water, uh, then we are able to increase the net operating income significantly. And the beauty about it is that once you really increase the income in commercial property, they are praised on the, on the income approach. It's not like a house or a multifamily two to four units, which are praised through a comparable sale approach. They are praised through the income approach. So once you increase the income, the net operating income, you increase the value. And if you do that correctly, well, a couple of deals that I've done recently, you might be able to refinance the property after a year or 18 months or two years and pull all your money out and then repeat the process and do it again. And if you're able to do that, you're getting an infinite return on your money and, and you're able to pick up momentum and really grow your portfolio and, and keep acquiring great assets. Another point I want to mention, Alan, is that the, specifically the multifamily sector is being recession resilient. Everybody needs a place to live. And um, what we see now, specifically with COVID, we are seeing that a lot of investment vehicles, which are to do, for example, with the hospitality or with office, you know, or retail, which everybody knows what goes happens with retails if they are not in the great locations, and all of them struggling because of Amazon, because they're online shopping. And all of those assets suffered significantly with COVID, while multifamily overperformed because everybody needs a place to live. And when you buy an asset that has, let's say, 50 income streams, if you have five vacancies, which is 10%, you're not going to feel it um, because as much as if you have one single family home and it's vacant, or if you've got two or three of them and one or two are vacant, you're going to have serviceability issue. You're not going to be able to service the debt or you're, gonna, you're not going to get enough income. But with multifamily, we have uh, metrics that we always look at when we are analyzing a deal and we look into the break-even point. The break-even point is really when you underwrite the deal, when you analyze the deal, how much vacancy are you able to afford before you actually need to bring money from your pocket to the deal to service the debt, for example. So I like to see typically minimum of 75% occupancy as, as my break-even point. So if I'm 25% if I'm vacant, I can, you know, I'm breaking even at least. So that's a very important point. But that's what I like about having a multiple income streams, which is why I love multifamily so much. The last point, which I'm going to mention right now, is the ability to claim depreciation. A lot of people who invest in, in multifamily, they are able to have tax benefits through depreciation. A few years ago, the Trump administration implemented what we call the bonus depreciation. It's accelerating the tax depreciation that you can claim in the first year to an amount that it's equivalent to nearly 30% of the value of the asset. So let's say you bought an asset for a million bucks, you're able to depreciate closely to 300,000 of that asset in the first year and it carries forward. So all the income that it's generating, it's actually offset through the depreciation and there are great tax deduct offset the income. A lot of high earners, if they structure themselves correctly, they're able to save, to save on that income basically on taxes through depreciation. So a lot of physicians, a lot of attorneys, a lot of engineers that earn a reasonable amount of, of money, they go into real estate and they know that there are some ways that they could save on the income tax as well. But of course, we are not CPAs or anything like that. They need to get their own advice and look into that. Certainly. And yeah, that's something that real estate has that the stock market doesn't have. And many people who are real comfortable in the stock market 
are surprised at the advantages of depreciation because there's just no way to do that with the stock. It just doesn't have that benefit. Yes. I like it that you brought the example of the stock market because I want to say that the one thing you also don't have with the stock market is that you're unable to force appreciation for what you buy. You buy it for A, and it's worth A or B if the market went up or if the CEOs of the company did something that improves the value of the, of the company, but you have no control. I'm able to buy assets in real estate if the strategies that we do, which we're able to buy assets off market for a discount, if you like, or locate distressed assets through the direct to seller approach that we take and we teach in the mastermind as well. And we are able to buy them at what we believe at below what they were, the intrinsic value of the asset. And by doing that, you're really able to force appreciation significantly within a relatively short time frame. And you don't have that control in, in stock and bonds. Absolutely. Well, we're coming to the end of our time here. But before we leave this, talk to us a little bit about the structure of the business plan and the importance of that to a passive investor and what it is that when they're evaluating a passive investment, what should they be looking at in terms of the business plan? I think that the most important thing when you are looking to perhaps invest passively is to consider whether you want first, first is to go into a syndication to be part of a big group, if you like, 30, 40, 50 investors, or maybe do you want to invest passively as a joint venture partner in a smaller deal? So, I mean, you can invest passively in a deal with three or four other investors, which typically at this point in my life, for example, I prefer that because for me personally, I'm able to control the transaction more and, and I can able to get better returns in, in my personal view. It's just not, it's not only return on your, on your capital, but if you're choosing to go with a larger syndication or a joint venture, you really want to, first and foremost, is to check what experience and track records the actual deal sponsor or general partners has. This is crucial. You want to know if they've done it before, what track records they have, what kind of feedback you can get from other people from that investor invested with them. You really want to look into how the deal is evaluated. You need to understand the basic of deal underwriting and how to analyze and read the numbers. So you need to see how do they evaluate the deal and to check if they're for example, assumptions, if you like, if they're assuming that the rent is going to go up a certain amount or if they can do a certain strategy, you can, you can check at your back end if that's possible. Now, once you get together with experienced operators that you trust and, and you know, or perhaps you know that he has a good track record through referrals, you might not need to do all of that. But we always suggest that you have at least basic understanding of how deals are being underwritten. You want to find out what's their target market whether they are investing in uh, Florida, whether they are investing in, uh, for example, Arizona, or maybe they are investing in other markets that in, in the north, northeast or, or northwest, when currently there are uh, a bit more rent restrictions and things that uh, might not fit your risk profile or not fit what you want to get involved with. Another point is really, how do they communicate with their investors? Are you going to have a monthly call? Are you, are you going to expect to have uh, only quarterly calls and distributions? How do they distribute the money? Getting to that point as well. And all those things that you really need to, to figure out exactly how they're going to implement their plan. Really good suggestions there. Well, you have a lot to offer. So how can we get in touch with you? I think you can certainly visit me on the MIH Mastermind 
mihmastermind.com website. It's mihmastermind.com website. And um, that's my mastermind, which I run with, with Marco, Marco Barbaro. It's uh, from Jake and Gino. It's Gino's brother, if you know. And uh, we, we started this mastermind. We're helping people to get into multifamily. And there's a lot of free education over there. So you're welcome to go and, and have a look and check it out. Another website which you can check, which is my private investing website, which is kind of my, my group that we operate in Arkansas, Indiana, Tennessee, and various other markets. If you check that out, it's MFI Holding with a G, mfiholding.com. Over there, you can find uh, plenty of articles about uh, investing in syndication, investing passively, what to look for, how to create partnerships, and, uh, and a lot of other information, which is, of course, of course free, and, and I think you might find it interesting. Excellent. Well, for our last question, share with us one of your most difficult setbacks in life. How did you come through that time, and what was the major lesson you learned from that? Yes, so setback. I thought it was kind of relating to the first question we had when we when we answered the you know about the pivotal point of, of life or something that really was was affecting me. I won't say it was a setback, but that one was kind of a wake up call: how to live more mindful and healthy life. I don't think I had that would a major setback in my life, uh, but that point that I mentioned earlier was really a pivoted life, a moment that uh, made me um, really walk on myself. And I think it's propelled me to the next level of being able to have personal growth. What I do want to mention is that one of the biggest moves that I did in my life was a move to New Zealand from Israel, because it's a big deal to leave your family. And my wife, she's originally from the Isle of Man, which is a British Isle. Uh, They're Mm -hmm. independent, but they're stuck in the north of the Irish Sea over there. So we moved to New Zealand. And that was a big move. And the second big move was actually starting to invest in the U.S. and really ripping the bandage and, and doing it all on my own and getting stabilized over there. So that, for me, was a, a really big stepping stone in my life. And funny enough, about two or three years after I moved and started acquiring assets and started coaching for Jake and Gino, I started there as a student. But then, then I, I was one of the first students. But then I started coaching for them. When I met Marco... I started a mastermind with Marco. It's separate from Jake and you know what? I started with him two years ago. And suddenly I, I find myself very busy. So I was doing a lot of deals and I was also helping members to, to do deals and getting, giving them some you know, help and support and advice. And, and I had to force myself to actually delegate more and hire assistants. And hiring my virtual assistant and a few other assistants to run my business was one of the best business decisions I ever did, did in my life. So I kind of really pushed myself to focus on the business, less in the business. Although I'm in the business, but when I'm in the business, I'm focusing on the more, if you like, high values activity that we are, the business is generating, uh, which is things that I also enjoy more. So I cut down all the, the menial work and the things that are more admin to do more things that I enjoy and they are the high value of the business, if you like. Mm-hmm. Well, so if I recall from our pre-interview conversation, you met your wife in the States, right? No, no. I actually, my wife, again, she's from the Isle of Man, and right. uh, we, we met in India. So oh, okay. we, were, we were backpacking in India in the early 2000s, and uh, I met her on a bus journey from Goa to a place called Hampi, which is in Karnataka, uh-huh. in South India. So we met on a bus journey in a sleeper bus. And uh, when we went down the bus, we said, hey, maybe we can meet for breakfast tomorrow morning. And the rest was history. So that was kind <laughs> of, then, yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> well, so 
She's from Isle of Man. You're from Israel. Whatever took you all to New Zealand, other than the fact it's a beautiful place to be? Thank you. Yes. Um, basically, Israel was really in a turmoil back in the early 2000s. There's a lot of unrest with the second intifada and there was suicide bombers. And, you know, she's being a country girl from the Isle of Man, which is kind of like a miniature New Zealand, really. It's a farming island. They're known for the TT motorbike racing and the cats with no tails and a few things like that. But really, she was growing up in an environment which is quite rural and quite peaceful. And living in Israel in Tel Aviv wasn't quite uh, her cup of tea, if you like. Mm, So uh, what happened was we're communicating with her sister, that was already in New Zealand, married to a a farmer that was living down in the South Island on a farm. And we decided to go and have a look. So we went to have a look with a very big suitcase and a (laughs) dog. And we knew we're we're going to try and and settle down in New Zealand and bring a family in a peaceful place, in a not neutral place where they speak English and place that was uh, kind of perhaps a good place to bring a family, you know, very safe. It wasn't as accessible as it is now, I mean, it's become very, very hot, very hot demand. And the, the house prices back then was relatively cheap when we moved here. They were, it was under the radar kind of thing. It was end of the, ro- of the world. So we were able to acquire, buy a little farm here. We bought about 10 acre and that's where I'm speaking for you today. And, you know, when I bought the real estate, the prices were still relatively affordable. But over the last few years, New Zealand then gone really, really famous and Lord of the Ring came out and a lot of people starting to travel here and immigrate to here and, and, and things change. And so that's how we got to New Zealand. It's a, it's a good place to bring up a family. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And Hadar, it's been a pleasure getting to know you. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me, Alan. I appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steed Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steed Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steed Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at Steed. Talker.com.